Welcome to the Lawful Assembly podcast, a show about the intersection of law, religion, and activism. It is hosted by lawyer and activist Reverend Craig Moosen. It's produced by the Division of Mission and Ministry at DePaul University. Craig, we've been talking for the last several podcasts at this point about what the current administration has been proposing to restrict access to asylum. And now we're on the edge of a new administration coming in January 20th. Can we start to examine what possibilities that administration might change in terms of asylum? Brian, we have a lot of work ahead of us. There are many aspects of asylum and immigration law that have been changed during this current administration. There's much work to be done, but I was very excited uh, early this month, the Young Center for Immigrant Children's Rights, along with the American Academy of Pediatrics and about 10 other national organizations protecting children's rights, came out with a list of 10 priorities that they hope the new administration will act quickly to address major concerns in how we protect children in our asylum and immigration law. They've issued a list of 10 priorities that they are urging the new administration to quickly address. We have left too many children and families unprotected for too long. Let me just list some of them. We'll put a link to this so that you can read all 10. First, to get a sense of how we've abandoned children in the last four years, how we've detained them improperly, deported them improperly, and failed to give them appropriate medical care. Let me just briefly describe some of them, but you can take the link and and read through them thoroughly. Last March, using Title 42, this administration banned asylees from seeking asylum and returned them, even though our Refugee Act, the law enacted by Congress, required those seeking asylum to have a chance to state their claim. We've talked previously in our podcasts about the migrant protection protocols, which has forced families and unaccompanied children to wait in Mexico for weeks on end before they were called for their asylum hearings. This MPP program has to cease its cause to humanitarian crisis at the border and in Mexico. We have to change the tent court system that's been established at the border with video teleconferencing. That's rushed people through deportation proceedings, many without access to attorneys. We have to address issues of access to legal counsel. Just think with me, how does a five-year-old present a case for asylum if they do not have an attorney at their side? As I said, we'll put a link in the notes to this podcast to urge you to send this to your elected representatives and bring it to your networks, your churches, your mosques, your synagogues, and your community organizations. These are changes that must happen. But Brian, that's still two months away. And with all the changes a new administration must deal with, there'll be several months after that where these proposals will work their way through the new administration's protocols. Today is World Children's Day. It's appropriate to take this day to think about what we can do in the next two months to address the crisis of children at our border. Craig, uh, first off, I think every day should be World Children's Day, but um, can you tell us what World Children's Day is? Brian, you're uh, echoing a TV show of my youth, Captain Kangaroo, where he would end every show by saying, every day is Mother's Day. (laughs) 
So you've taken that lesson, and I agree, every day should be Children's Day uh, and Mother's Day. But isn't that the issue? We're talking about families that are separated, mothers that are and fathers that are kept from their children, uh, children that are detained both in detention centers or in hotels run by private contractors because of this terrible system we're involved with right now. In 1954, the United Nations established Universal Children's Day on November 20th. It's important because in 1959, the UN adopted the Declaration of the Rights of the Child. And in 1989, on November 20th, the UN General Assembly adopted the Convention on the Rights of the Child. Thus, every year since then, on November 20th, we've made special highlight of Children's Day. It's appropriate we talk a bit about the Convention on the Rights of the Child. Ironically, the United States was one of the main drafters of the Convention which set forth protections that children, especially unaccompanied children, and especially refugees who fled the protections of their home, should be afforded by any nation that adopted the Convention on the Rights of the Child. Surprisingly, the United States is one of very few nations in the world that has refused to sign and implement the Convention on the Rights of the Child. Nonetheless, all of us who are concerned about the rule of law and how children are addressed under a rule of law should follow many of the protections of the Convention on the Rights of the Child. But that reminds us that, as you suggested, every day is a day we should be vigilant. And we need to address these issues today because it's very dangerous for children today. We talked about that there's going to be this lull because we're waiting for the new administration to take over. And the current administration to leave office and a shift in policy, but there's a delay, a few month delay. What do you fear is going to happen in these two months? Let me just point out a few things. You may have heard in the news that although the administration stopped its family separation policy, lawyers with the ACLU have discovered that there are still 545 children that the government cannot locate their parents, or they've deported the parents to their native countries without the children. The White House now claims that those parents don't want their children back. It doesn't offer the protections of our refugee system, deports parents without their children, and then puts the burden on the parents. Recent proceedings have suggested that these lawyers have discovered another 100 children whose parents can't be discovered. The migrant protection protocols have led to almost 9,000 children being forced back into Mexico. And remember, many of these may be unaccompanied children who have nowhere to go but the streets of Mexico, a nation already burdened by thousands of others seeking refugee status. We've also heard that ICE and DHS are trying to expedite deportation of children that they have in detention at this point. We'll provide a link later to help you address that issue. But each day that goes by, if we don't present these children with lawyers, it makes it that much easier for the government to deport them without anyone standing at their side to protect them. Well, I know this podcast has become something of a long list of bad news. Is there any good news that we can tell people about, Craig? Yes, Brian. Just this week, lawyers who were litigating over this issue of whether the government could use the COVID-19 pandemic to ban 
children and adults from seeking asylum received a court decision on November 18th. And the judge has issued issued an order that prohibits the Trump administration from following its Title 42 order that blocked individuals from applying for asylum. Craig, this is the second time it's come up. So I want to ask, can you tell us what Title 42 means? Title 42 is a public health provision. We all know the struggle that a government has to protect its citizens at times of pandemics. We're facing that with the debate over what authority governments have, for example, to mandate masks. Congress, however, gave the executive certain authorities to regulate immigration law, but that is under the authority given through the Immigration Nationality Act. This administration took a public health provision and used it as its justification to expel unaccompanied children and to block them when they sought asylum at our borders. It's estimated that this Title 42 authorization has led to almost 13,000 children being expelled or excluded at our borders. Although the actual court case alleged a number of violations of federal statutes, the court did find that this administration overstepped its authority by using a domestic public health provision to regulate immigration law. It's a tremendous success, but it is a district court decision. But it is the first priority that was listed on our list of 10. And it shows how this administration has frequently overstepped its authority in its attempt to hurt children. So let's celebrate that good news, but let's not rest because there's still much to be done. Brian, our mission, our faith tradition, our commitment to the principles one finds in the Convention on the Rights of the Child suggests that all of us have a responsibility to address these issues and an opportunity to address these issues. COVID has taught us to be especially vigilant and concerned about our children. We're struggling every day on decisions whether to open or close schools and how many children can get together. Many of us are working remotely to protect our children. But our tradition and our mission tells us it's not just our children that we have to protect. We as taxpayers are funding the improper detention and deportation of many unaccompanied children of children separated from their families, and children seeking the protection of our laws. I just heard an interview with the late Jonathan Sachs, the former chief rabbi of the United Hebrew Congregations of the Commonwealth. He reminded us that it was an Egyptian, Pharaoh's daughter, who saved Moses. She knew the law of the land, her father's edict, had required that all young Hebrew male children should be killed. She knew this baby was a child of another people, designated by the state as different and dangerous. Yet her compassion took her in and protected him, and Moses became the great liberator of his people. In our Christian tradition, poet and pastor, the late Reverend Theodore Conklin, asked what individual was present in Egypt when Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus fled the persecution of Herod and had to cross a border and seek safety in Egypt. What individual there, without power, offered hospitality and welcomed the stranger? In our own mission and tradition, St. Vincent reminded us of what Jesus told his disciples 
quote, let all the children come to me. And Vincent went on to say, instructed us to be on our guard against preventing those who would keep them from coming to us. Would we be unfaithful, St. Vincent asked, if we abandoned those children? And he added, if we refuse to accept the trouble or the burden that would impose on us. And indeed, if you're not part of one of these faith traditions, the universal acceptance of the Convention on the Rights of the Child, the rights to medical care, the rights to clean and safe housing, the rights to lawyers to represent you if you're a refugee seeking safe haven. Those principles in the Convention instruct all of us, regardless of our faith background or our convictional background, to take action to support children. It's especially important on a day like today that we address the unaccompanied children detained at our borders, the children being excluded at our borders, to offer them the protections called for by the convention and those in our faith traditions. All right, Craig, then let's leave people today with a plan of action to get them to try to help. What would you suggest people do to try to help with this? As I said earlier, look at this link with the 10 priorities. Learn about these issues of how we as taxpayers are hurting children today. Send this list to your legislatures. Send this list to your networks. Encourage more people to speak out and say, this should not be done in our name. If you find one or more of the issues, find a local group in your city that's working on these issues and ask them how you can provide support. Uh, The Young Center, which I've mentioned previously, just sent out an email of how we can address the imminent deportation of close to 30 children any day now. We'll place a link that you can respond about those children. Find organizations, either through your religious communities or other community-based organizations, that provide alternatives to detention. Find these organizations and help support them. We will hear threats of too many children that will overwhelm our system. We have shown the hospitality of friends in our communities that are willing to address these needs if permitted. There's much to be done for all of us. And I hope as we begin to enter this time of holiday celebration in a time when we're all very troubled, that we don't neglect those who've been left alone in our detention centers or excluded at our borders. I give thanks for all of you and wish you a blessed Thanksgiving holiday and hope you'll join me in working to effectuate the rights of children. As Craig said, we're going to put links to all the documents on this week's show notes. You can check it out on SoundCloud or on the blog. Craig, thank you so much and uh, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for listening. This podcast is not intended as legal advice. If you'd like to learn more or check out the reference materials, please look at the show notes at blogs.depaul.edu slash DMM.